0: Have you ever listened to a book that was so good that you felt compelled to then read it as well? That is what happened when I listened to the audible version of The Amazon Way by John Rossman. I then read it and realized this is one of the most insightful yet challenging management books I've read in a very long time. The book is based on the 14 leadership principles which are now 16 at Amazon, the leadership principles are called LPs and are conveyed by the gifted senior executive at the time who led his team in launching the Amazon third-party marketplace business. Today, John Rossman is an innovation and strategy advisor at Rossman Partners, and I cannot wait to talk about these 14 leadership principles, which John talks about in the Amazon way. I'm Mark Gandhi. This is CFO Bookshelf. Our conversation with John Rossman is coming up next. Before we jump into the conversation with John Rossman, you can also follow his writing at thedigitalleaders.substack.com. Just fine. The link's there to subscribe. And by the way, when we wrap up, I'm going to be mentioning a recent post that he wrote on metrics, which it is outstanding. The Amazon way just went through another update. And that was my first question for John. How's the reception been?
1: The reception has been great because a lot of companies and teams are trying to rethink how do we compete. And they realize that leadership and culture is the hardest part of that, the most important part of that, and that you have to be deliberate about it. And so these give you something that you can start with and evaluate. I never suggest that these are the right leadership principles for anybody else. But I do suggest read these, think about them and ask, your well, how do we think about that? What would be our um, approach for that topic? At the end of the book, one of the new appendixes is about building your own leadership principles, and so I kind of give my my interpretation of a recipe or an approach for how to build your own leadership principles. But you know that the reception has been great, and it's been it's been um, just a su- surprising honor and opportunity to get to go talk with teams who are who are thinking this through for themselves.
0: I listened to the 2021 update uh to the book. So I first listened to it and I thought this is good, but then I read it. And it, my opinion is if you first listen to it, I'm just recommending now go back and read the book. Well I read it not once, I read twice back to back. And again, here's my tip for reading the book. Read the introduction, read the conclusion then start from the beginning that is my suggested way the conclusion by the way there is a ton of wisdom and you just said a few of those things uh it's not necessarily a recipe but you have to look at these holistically it, did I, did i get that right john
1: yeah absolutely uh, you, you you can't over index on any one of them i i get people you know making the Naive mistake of, well, customer obsession. It's just about customer obsession. It's like, you know, that's just one of the leadership principles. It's the first one. It's probably the most important, but it is just one. You can't use just that one. And typically, you can't lean on just one leadership principle, but you don't lean on all of them in any one circumstance. It takes some practice and take some wisdom to know, well, which leadership principles do we use in a particular moment? And, and think of these as levers or tools that you put to work. And you, you, you have to use them with good intent. Like anything, they can be used in a in a silly or um, exaggerated uh, motion. So you, you really do have to use them with wisdom and good intent. But you know, think them through. And what's hard is developing new habits. How do we actually do this? And and that's why, you know, change like this isn't fast, but it, it's, it's tremendously effective. And I asked the question like, well, what alternatives do you have? Um, and, and so, yeah, hopefully people are putting this to work and as well as a number of other resources and really rethinking, like how do we compete and how do we create a a culture that values innovation that uses customer centricity to fight through our bureaucracy that is figuring out how to use data and root cause analysis to hold each other more accountable and to get to real solutions those are those are just the underlying you know principles to the principles
0: so as you were building out this third party platform this third party seller system were there maybe I know you got to look at these holistically, but were there maybe two or three or four that kind of rose to the surface that had to be emphasized without eliminating the others?
1: Yeah, well, first, it, it was a team effort, right? And so I got to lead a big aspect of that section. And there was prior learnings in scar tissue. It was the third attempt at a marketplace business when I uh, came in to help launch that in 2002. But I think the leadership principles that really impacted us the most – So we turned customer obsession into seller obsession. And that was really the the big change that we had to make at Amazon was they already had a notion of customer obsession, but vendors and everybody else were second or third or fourth class citizens. And we had to lead the change that, no, for this to work, we had to be passionate about helping sellers create a great business, do the right thing, operate in the same way that we expected Amazon, the retailer, to operate because we expected the the real customer experience to be just as trusted, just as good as buying from Amazon, the retailer. And so that was the real, um, you know, war that we were fighting internally. And then I, I think the um, aspect of insisting on the highest standards, not just for ourselves, but again, for our sellers was also one where, We had to teach them and give them the right tools to to get into real accuracy relative to inventory pricing, shipping, customer service, all the interactions that they were were responsible for. Uh, For customers, we raised everybody's bar relative to, you know, hitting those types of very high expectations that we had for what the customer experience would be. So those were a couple of the, the LPs that we leaned against the most when launching the marketplace business.
0: I'm envisioning a conversation where the CEO may come up to you and say, well, John, we already have core values. What is your response when you are having a conversation about these LPs? John, we already have core values. (laughs) What's the difference? I usually start
1: with the position of what do we need to change to win in, you know, we'll call it the digital era. And so is it innovate more? Is it execute better and so, how do we treasure your existing values, your your existing culture, but add on an emphasis that helps you accomplish the business objectives that you're trying to make? This this always comes down to to, to business and business objectives and and making change happen. And so, I have no pride or ego or or religion rigid thinking about well you know these have to be called leadership principles you know you can you can call them anything you want and you can use them in any way you want and you can isolate or deploy them in any fashion you want you could even just go to the mechanisms like hey here's some things we're going to do we're not even going to have principles per se to start out with as long as you have an eye of like These, this is here to help us compete better to make some substantial change happen. Usually it's in the vein of we need to innovate better, right? We're really good at our existing business and the operations of that existing business. Sometimes there's an aspect of customer experience that needs to be tuned up significantly, but usually it's in the vein of how do we innovate, right? And innovating means we have to have an idea that's unproven so it's a bet we have to try to test that bet before we even go into testing or prototyping we then have to prototype and then we have then have to evaluate tune and decide what and how to scale it right most companies aren't geared up with that way they aren't ready for the type of you know quote unquote failure that goes on in that we're talking about experimenting, that type of failure when when we're talking about failure. Most companies, existing management science really isn't geared towards understanding that type of playbook. And so I work with teams on you have your operating playbook and you have your innovating playbook. Those are two different playbooks. You have to use the right one at the right time. And we're going to have a set of guiding principles that help us on that innovation playbook because they're different than your existing traditional legacy business and legacy operating model.
0: You said 16 principles. You wrote about 14. And then you mentioned a 15th. And sir, that 15th, you got a standing ovation. What is your 15th or suggested 15th LP?
1: So the the background on this is when I uh, released this book, coming into this book, it's obvious Amazon was um, taking a lot of heat from many sides relative to a few core issues, especially around um, uncompetitive practices relative to the marketplace business, as well as worker safety, especially in the fulfillment center and a couple of other issues. And so I wrote this suggestion as a a strategy for amazon to to both help create real change within the organization as well as to battle the naysayers that are were out there. And so this was I always say like you know, is delivered with a hug, right? like this was delivered with good intent if i if I had 10 minutes with Andy Jassy, the new CEO, this would have been my suggestion to him on like what to do in this battle that they were in. And so I wrote this suggested 15th leadership principle and it's called, um, it's a twist off the golden rule. So I'll just yes. read what I wrote here. Uh, Treat others as you would like to be treated. Employees, vendors, partners, brands, small companies, competitors, press, critics, community. Contribute and be a leading steward of your community. Foster and lobby, not for your best interests, but for future innovation and competition's best interests. Conduct yourself both personally and as an organization in a way your mom and your kids would be proud of, always. So that was the suggestion I had to them. Now, I'm not claiming influence or credit for this, but the facts are that about six weeks after I released the book, Amazon announced Two new leadership principles that cover roughly the same scale as my one suggested leadership. So, so they came back with a fifteenth leadership principle, which is called "strive to be the Earth's best employer," and the second was "success and scale brings broad responsibility." So, both of those together kind of cover the same scope. And I think you know, to some degree, it was a clear need that Amazon had. That they, you know, when I was at Amazon, we were a scrappy startup that was doubted whether it was gonna survive, right? We were called Amazon.toast, Amazon.org, Amazon.bomb. You know, 20 years later, it's a it's a much radically different company, radically different story. But yet Amazon still has some of that scrappy behavior. Some of that scrappy behavior is good, but some of it needs to, to add in at different points, slightly different orientations and elements. And that's what they're trying to change with those leadership principles.
0: I, again, I applaud you. By the way, your, that what you just read, that, that's a bonus because I think in the book, it's basically one or two sentences uh, of that golden rule. The, the other opinion I had about your 15 principle is that it should be at the hub and everything else, Flows from that from that fifteenth principle. I also, in my opinion, don't think any of the other fourteen principles are watered down. I mean, these principles are intense and they're hard. But yet, I still think that all should flow to that that golden rule uh, statement that you just read, which is brilliant. I I, I may be plagiarizing that, sir. Um, Please, I want to hit some big ideas. Uh, I did tell you in an email. This is one of the hardest interviews. I've ever done because uh, I think it was Edwin Tufty. He comes with the, with the ratio, the data to ink ratio. Well, for you, it's the wisdom to text or wisdom to ink ratio. It's a short book, but every every there's no fluff. There is zero fluff in this book. So it's like, wh- where do I go and how do I keep this you know within thirty thirty five minutes? So by me picking a few, I hope you don't think I ignored everything else. And and one of them I think is just is is just incredible. It's a great doctrine, but the concept of processes, strong processes with measurable outcomes, it may be like, oh yeah, duh. But this is hit hard in the book with some tangible examples. And I see that you are nodding. This is to me a very critical important concept in the book, Strong Processes with Measurable Outcomes. Thoughts? Can you elaborate?
1: So the third leadership principle at Amazon is invent and simplify. The invention piece of that gets a lot of publicity. It sounds cool. It sounds hard. You know, who wouldn't want to be an inventor? But I always find it surprising that the simplify it's invent and simplify. And what we found is not just simplification for the customer experience is critical, but internally core processes, things that have to scale, that the most important work you do is helping to avoid complexity. And so that by simplifying uh, flows, simplifying requirements, simplifying policies, Simplifying, uh, the aspect of the work that was the most important work to do to truly scale a core process. If you get that simplification down, then you can apply all the right metrics, right org structures, right systems, right processes. But that's the most important element to do. And so that aspect of creating deliberately engineered Processes, roles, flows, all of those things is core to scaling and and operating with precision. I also liken it to what I believe being digital is about. I believe being digital is about having speed and agility. Speed is a repetitive motion, highly efficient, high quality, high precision. Well, that's your operational excellence. And so to become a truly digital organization, you have to take your Wherever your operational excellence approaches are to the next level, more data, more insights, more accountability, more change, more root cause analysis. That's what getting to, to operational excellence is about. So those are some of the thoughts I have. And what, what's happened is over time, companies just naturally they acquire, they get a little sloppy. You, you, you hesitate to have the hard conversations around consolidation, changing jobs, simplifying work. And so you end up with this spaghetti bowl of processes, systems, data, how roles work and people that are, that are literally having to, they're locked into this morass. And so they, they, they can't be efficient. It's hard work to detangle that that bowl of spaghetti, but I think it's essential if you're truly going to reinvent the way that work gets done and figure out how to scale and how to digitize that work.
0: Again, you mentioned chapter three, invent and simplify. That was my favorite chapter. I believe it's the longest chapter. And I just want to comment that I don't care if you're a nonprofit, I don't care if you're a school organization, you could be a, a, a football coach, a business, a 10 million, 20 million. Uh, you could be a Steve Blank startup, invent and simplify. There are some great tangible takeaways in that chapter. So, uh, love love that 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 part. I want to quote again: "It's an invent and simplify. Take something really hard, make it simple, and wrap it in a compelling consumption model." That's what you did with the third party uh, seller program. So, I apologize. We we just we're back on invent and simplify. But I I love that line. And that that's hard, and very few people do it effectively. If if,
1: if, if you think about, you know, the the history of the past twenty five years of you know the, of the internet, and you could even go back even further. Essentially, what the internet is built on is a set of pr- protocols, and company after company have just been adding abstraction layers to that protocol, so that. People who want to use it don't have to understand the underlying complexity of it. And so what you've seen now is taking processes and core capabilities, putting a nice wrapper on top of it and making it easy for people to consume it. And instead of being locked into having to purchase and acquire, you know, capital assets or people to operate something, now it's much simpler and I can buy it on a consumption model. Take, for example... Uh, Amazon Web Services, the cloud computing business, the 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 brilliant invention of that again is taking compute, and instead of having to forecast what you need, acquire servers, have a data center to put it in, having people that understood how to install, stand up, and operate data systems, all so that you could just like, what you want to do is run a new marketing program or, you know, scale an application or something like that. But you have to go through all of this work to, in order to have infrastructure, you know, that's, that's how it's happened in my lifetime, right? Like I've been, I've been beholden to that gatekeeper many times in the work that I do. Well, now Anybody can dial up server capacity on demand, turn it back down, try something, change it. And that's the beauty of cloud computing. But it, it's not just in technical products or purely digitized products that you can do this. And you can also do this in real physical processes. So take, for example, FBA by Amazon, Fulfillment by Amazon. That lets people through a simple interface, plan, store, ship, inventory, leverage Amazon's worldwide fulfillment network to help manage and ship their orders, both orders that come through Amazon, through the marketplace business, but also orders from from other sources that you could have. So that's an example. And so many great innovations today come through this, like, how do we abstract something really complex and make it simple and make it on demand? The exercise I like to do with any company is ask the question what are your core processes the things that you should be world-class at that you could say i'm going to have a competitive product that is highly defined has high slas to it is at a cost basis that would compete and that i could make this platform strategy work even if you don't do it going through that exercise will really challenge, like, are we as good at this core process as we should be? And how can we make it better by asking those questions around, well, what does it mean to be a platform service?
0: We'll be right back. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it? And what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? by the way you mentioned SLA the context is service level agreement you could call it a customer level agreement a process level but again we could spend an hour just talking about service level agreements and maybe we will in a couple of minutes but really good Wait, stuff
1: I, I'll, I'll mention one thing relative to SLAs SLAs get used in contracts and those are you know high stress high stress SLAs the types of SLAs i'm talking about are just Commitments that teams make to each other—we call it an SLA because it means it's a prize metric, right? I am making a promise to you that my service, my capability, will have this type of throughput, this type of availability, this type of cost, this type of quality. Those are tend to be the the vectors that you create SLAs on, and you you work to keep those processes. To your peers, that is an aspect of accountability and how you use metrics as a way of creating accountability within an organization.
0: One other big idea, and this, this, as you would say, this came out of one of Jeff's uh, uh, annual reports, but I, I will never, ever, ever be able to get the idea out of my head, Peter Thiel, zero to one. It's an incredible Uh, mental construct. Well, so is day one. I don't know which I like better. Just, and I'm going to have you explain, revisit day one in a minute, but just for a CEO to get away, get away from the office, maybe just go somewhere, get on a plane and just write down narrative format, six pages. What does it mean to have a day one mindset for you looking back? And even, or even today in your, in your practice, your business, why is it important to have a day one mindset? As as Jeff talked about this in past, a past annual report.
1: So day one has been a long standing um, perspective that Jeff Jeff has. It's interesting. It's not a leadership principle because it's used like a leadership principle, but it but, it, but it's not. But really, what it, it's his headline? It's a simple, consistent communication that we are a company that is optimistic about making change happen right and and they they couch that in the terms of Uh, We're explorers where the Internet is just beginning to make the impact that it can have. And we are always going to be a team that is looking to explore versus just optimize for the present. And so I think it's the 2016 Amazon shareholder letter. He breaks down like, well, what does it mean to be a day one versus a day two organization? What are some steps that you can take um, to become more like a day one organization? the simple essence of it is is that a day one company becomes very good and optimistic about creating change right that's the exploring nature and that you understand guided wandering and that in that in that when when you're exploring it's not always highly efficient but it's not random either and so you're you're trying to find the lanes or the approaches for how you explore something but you don't punish or expect perfection because we're trying to figure something new out, which is, again, an aspect of innovation and is different than your operating playbook, which should have a plan and you should work to make that plan hit. Again, separate playbooks relative to this. And a big important aspect of, of day one is that you're not trying to optimize just for the short term, this year, this quarter, you know, this month. Um, m- metrics, you're really trying to create long-term optimization. You do different things, you invest different ways, you explore differently if you're trying to create long-term enterprise value versus short-term results. And those, those two things can reside in in conjunction with each other, but the, the simple essence of it is, and this comes to leadership principle number two, which is think like an owner, which is you never suboptimize long-term enterprise value for short-term results. By saying that, what it does is it forces you to come up with better solutions to attain short-term results. It doesn't say we don't have short-term results. It says, no, you have to find a way to not compromise long-term value in order to attain. And typically, when you do that, you actually both attain the short-term value and you increase long-term shareholder value because you have to come to a deeper understanding of the customer, a better solution, a better root cause, a more permanent fix, For the situation or an innovation to improve the situation. So some of the things that Jeff comes to on like, okay, if you're a day two company, which means I'm, I've got, I'm trying to optimize for the short term. Essentially, I'm not investing much. He talks about, um, avoiding proxies and a proxy is when you are primarily listening to indirect feedback. And so indirect feedback can be surveys, indirect feedback can be what your competitors say, indirect feedback can be what the media can say, and indirect feedback can be purely from your financial uh results, your short-term financial results. And instead what he recommends is like understand each and every customer and customer interaction and focus intently on that and figure out how to explore. So those are some of the wisdom that he brings relative to, you know, becoming a day one organization.
0: And I'm not saying this will happen, but a day 2 company has a greater likelihood of going bankrupt than maybe presumably a day one company. And didn't he say I think it's in you've quoted this that Someday we will go bankrupt. It's like what?
1: Yeah. So, so he's he said. I think it was in um, a Charlie Rose interview or something like that, where he he go he goes he goes. Um, every company fails, right? The the, the the history of the lifespan of companies is really relatively short, and I'm he's just trying to make it so that Amazon's demise is not within his lifetime. And I think that when you when you understand the reality, much like your life, that this is a finite uh, lifespan a company has that a person has, you actually play with a much different attitude about like, okay, how do we make the most out of this? And how do we become more aggressive at extending that life versus just short term uh, optics on it? And I think that's incredible wisdom. And, And I believe that for most companies, the biggest risk they have is a five to 10 year risk that they are not investing in the next horizons for their business. And they they aren't, they aren't wandering enough. They aren't, they aren't trying to explore new businesses enough. And that that is truly their long-term risk. But if you look at most executive teams, most board conversations, when they talk about risk... They're really looking at a one to three year risk horizon and they're focused on things that, that, that contract them, right? Like, oh, you know, what would happen if, you know, this happened? And that's a very defensive posture, I would say in general. And that's why I think you need to add at the board an innovation agenda or a digital transformation agenda, you know, something like that, that, that shifts the timeline of risks and you can still come at it from a risk posture um, but you're really asking a different set of questions because you're focused on a different time horizon leads you to very different insights into oh what what are the things that we should be doing because over a five to ten year period your your biggest risks tend to be that you become commoditized, that your customers uh find a better different way to to source what you're doing or their business changes, which makes you obsolete or a new competitive entrance comes in. Any one of those happen or a combination of that, that, that essentially creates a real squeeze on your business, right? And so, okay, how do we fight commoditization? How do we how do we fight becoming irrelevant to our customers? And how do we fight new competition? Now we're starting to talk about growth and innovation.
0: There are so many great concepts and ideas. We didn't even talk about regret minimization. Uh, we didn't talk about bureaucracy. We didn't talk about the two pizza team. We talked a little bit about SLAs, which again, I've got a lot of notes on SLAs. Uh, force functioning is one of the most important aspects, and I wish we could. The book, I, if I, if you ever write it, do do a follow up, maybe a, a, an appendix on force functioning. But if I can just squeeze in three other ideas that I just thought were utterly brilliant, long. Narratives, and again, I know you're going to tell me this is not, I didn't get this is not my idea. But long narratives, the more I think about these, it's like we need to do these. You and I presumably serve a lot of what I call high dopamine CEOs. I don't have time to write; always in a hurry. Always in a hurry. But the long narratives, the reason we write them is because follow the blank, John. It helps you think better.
1: And it 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 can help the one of the so this comes from Amazon's curious culture of writing. Bezos talks about this again, one of the shareholder letters. I think it's the two thousand seventeen or sixteen shareholder letter. And writing is a stoic habit. Stoic isn't about being introverted. stoic Stoicism is, is about thinking um, and not being interrupt driven as everything about our day is interrupt driven. So by thinking things through, you actually come to understand the problem so much better, the customer so much better, and what your options are for fixing that problem. You can do it as an individual. You can do it as a team. And teams writing narratives slow down and think through things so much better. And then you can make much better resource allocation decisions because we actually have thought through the situation much, much better. And so, you know, Amazon has a few techniques relative to the writing. They have the six-page narrative. They have the future press release. They have uh, FAQs. And what all of those do is help teams think and then debate and then make decisions. And you can use those same artifacts to then, you know, audit or review some point in the future did we accomplish these things, and that comes back to you know one of their values is as a forcing function right? One simple sentence in a narrative can can create a requirement or a situation or a scenario that forces the team to accomplish something without you paying close attention to it happening.
0: The other big idea I loved and i when I first met you through email i also thank you for the appendix on free cash flow but you emphasize free cash flow over margins and i'm thinking how many controllers cfos FP&A directors are probably nodding their head is like we need to hear this message margins no backseat free cash flow you want to add a, a couple of thoughts about that
1: well, it, not my area of expertise. I actually wrote that with a former Amazon colleague of mine, Randy Randy Miller. But you know the the essence, and again, I'll borrow a quote from Bezos, which is, um, "You can't spend margin. You can spend free cash flow, right? And so, by closely thinking through, what are we optimizing for, and is it is it market attainment and cash flow, or is it? maintaining a gross margin percentage. The, the theory is by capturing market, we're going to be able to get better at at providing the service over time. That's what, that's what scale should bring to you. But as we talked about invent and simplify, complexity oftentimes prevents us from actually getting that scale. But if you actually harness and manage the complexity by gaining market share, gaining cash in the business, you're able to triangulate to a, a, a margin percentage, but at the end of the day, you know, would you rather have, you know, 50% at, you know, 10% margin or 10% at a 70% margin, you know, that's this, that's the silly math that oftentimes gets made because a margin becomes the predominant metric that we're optimizing for. And it's, it's, Pure fool's gold, and that's essentially what free cash flow uh, talks about. And it takes out all of the other accounting aspects that don't contribute to the money you have in the bank to spend.
0: The uh, we'll we'll bookend this conversation by going back to your the appendix on how to create some of your own leadership principles. Here is one of my big takeaways, and it's such a big takeaway. It's probably one of my top three. You start with principles, start with principles, or let's assume you're trying to write down your principles. After principles, you've got the mechanisms. And then I wrote down proof. Now you may use a little bit different terminology, but that middle term principles, mechanism, proof, when you develop these principles, you're 14, the Amazon 14, now the 16, there are supporting mechanisms that ensure those principles are going to come to life and be deeply embedded in these minds and hearts. They become a part of who every team member is. But the whole concept of mechanism, this is what separates core values from these very hard and difficult and intense uh, leadership principles. I know I did the talking there, but am I off track?
1: No, I think that's a really good insight. Uh, about what the difference is. So a mechanism is essentially like, how do you take a concept and how would you actually practice it? And a mechanism is then shared as like, hey, here's a technique to help live this principle. So for example, one of Amazon's uh, leadership principles is about uh, diving deep and another is about thinking big. Well, narratives help you do both right? So a narrative or this form of writing and debating is a mechanism to help us both dive deep and to think big. So so I think it's really important that as you're thinking about a concept or a principle, come up with, you know, three to five mechanisms and try to make those the habits that you practice, that your team practice, and then the rest of the organization should hopefully start practicing. And is I work with with CEOs and and leaders, you know the and we're all people at the end of the day, right? And, and this is this is the part that I've had to come to learn and enjoy. I'm an engineer by background, not a psychologist, but is that real change starts with senior leaders being willing to change their own perspectives, their own practices, and that's hard. Everybody wants like well you know, the rest of the organization needs to change. I don't really need to change my personal practices or my personal beliefs or where I spend my time is a really important one for CEOs is where I spend my time. But that's where real change uh, happens because everybody patterns after, you know, the leader and it, it actually, you know, creates the type of outcome you want. And so, you know, Real change starts with individual practices, which gets back to Peter Drucker's book, The Effective Executive, which is if you want to be an effective executive, you have to be an effective you, not not making everybody else effective. And why I find you know that book to be uh, such a, a timeless treasure.
0: Before we have you plug the heck out of your current work, I I just have to ask, I need to be nosy. What are some of your favorite? books. I know you're a reader. You think you're a deep thinker. So I'm curious what some of your favorite reads are.
1: Yeah. And, and like everybody, I have a little bit more time on my hand uh, these days because I'm not traveling all the time. You know, I, I, the concept of a favorite book is kind of like, you know, I, I've got the things I like and that I'm currently listening to. But um, I really liked uh, Shoe Dog, which is Phil Knight's book. And the reason I liked it is Everybody thinks of Nike as like, again, this huge conglomerate, like, oh, they 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 have an incredible business. Well, the first seven, eight years of Nike was Phil Knight just bootstrapping the heck out of that company and how near death it it was. And that's why I love that book. And I also I grew up in Beaverton, Oregon. And so, you know the 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 time period was was relevant to me and everything. So I really liked. Uh, that book, I, I really like uh, Peter Thiel's uh, Zero to One because I th- it really forces you to ask a set of questions about your value proposition for a new product or new service and how to differentiate it, how to create a new category relative to it by asking a, a set of questions and not always just thinking incrementally. So, those are a couple. I, and, you know, the Peter Drucker, uh, book is, um, one that I, I, I read just honestly on that book. I, I read just the preface of it. I think the preface is the stunning part of that book and where he gives you kind of eight practices, um, to be and and I always just go, man, I'm just failing all the time on all of those eight and everything. So
0: I disagree with that bullet point. Number one, what needs to be done? And really, if you go back to all of your 14 principles, and again, I, I know you're going to correct me. They're not mine, but all of the fourteen principles, now the sixteen, they go. They have something to do with what needs to be done, right now, and tomorrow, and and how to serve the customer in the organization and and not your own whims, right? Exactly. So I I mean, I've looked at your website. You have a cool website. Tell us about your practice and what you're what you're doing.
1: Yeah. So Rossman Partners is a firm to help companies and leaders compete and win in the digital era. And whether that's through, you know, leadership or strategy or technology or operations, like we listen first and really understand like what you're trying to attain and what the challenges are, what's needed and help deploy those um, for that, you know, purpose built mission. And so we don't come in with a rote methodology or standard solutions that it it really is like understand the job that needs to be done here and that's the work I love to do which is to help companies uh, compete and create that day one opportunity for themselves.
0: John Rossman love the book. I've read it twice now. I've listened to it. It's not going to be the last time. I want to so when I say I love this book and I've been recommending it so huge honor to have you chat with us.
1: Well, I appreciate your preparation and you've challenged me in some ways. Um, and so I really appreciate all that you do and in and, and, and your preparation. So thank you, Mark.
0: You are listening to CFO Bookshelf, lifelong learning for financial leaders. And now back to our host, Mark Gandhi. John Rossman, thank you very much. Again, head over to the thedigitalleader.substack.com. Click on any article to be able to subscribe. And did you know that with a paid subscription, you even get a chance to talk with John? Uh, just this morning, I read Chasing Perfection Use Metrics to Build a Culture of Accountability, Customer Obsession, and Excellence. And I love the section about did my customers Have a good day today. And then near the end of the article, scroll all the way down, there are two screenshots on designing metrics and metrics meetings. There are about a dozen attributes on metrics in that screenshot, and some I'd never even considered before, such as, again, asking, did my customer have a good day today? And it's a good thing I did not see this list first, because that would have consumed our conversation. Again, you can read more from John at thedigitalleader.substack.com. We need to call this a wrap. Keep learning, keep growing, keep making a difference. I'm Mark Gandy for CFO Bookshelf.